Welcome back to the 49ers official You've Got Mail podcast sponsored by Manscaped. I am joined this week from by Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee. Been co- reporting. How long have you been covering the 49ers in, in total? Because it's not just been with the Sacramento Bee, right? Yeah, so this is my third season with the Bee. I started with them in 2018. I've been covering the team on the ground since 2013. Um, so it's, it feels like a while now. I, I've, it's, it's very strange to, to look back and realize that I've been going at it for this long, but, um, it's been fun. There's, there's been a lot of, a lot of bad teams and a, and a lot of really good teams. So, um, you know, I, I'm still trying to figure out which category this current team is in, but, um, but it's been fun. No complaints. Yeah. For sure. So you've you've wrote the highs and the lows and the lows of the lows and and the highs again. And then now figuring out what 2020 is going to look like, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. So, I mean, speaking of, let's just jump right in. And this can be directed towards the 49er season or just the NFL season as a whole. But what surprised you most through four weeks of the year, which one, I'll just say, I can't believe we've made it this far. But here we are, you know, going into week five. What surprised you most? Yeah, I think it's just the injuries, and and I don't know that it's necessarily surprising, but I think they're the biggest story of the season, um, and and they've pretty much been the the number one story basically for the 49ers each week since since week one. You look at you know week two, obviously losing Nick Bosa for the year is a massive blow, um, and then you know after week one you lose Richard Sherman for a little bit. He's probably going to come back at some point over the next couple weeks, um, but then the next week you lose Jimmy Garoppolo and and Raheem Mostert. Um, Jordan Reed. So it, it's I say it's not surprising necessarily because of the COVID offseason, right? You you don't have a typical strength and conditioning program in the offseason. Um, and unlike 2011, which was sort of similar from that standpoint, players couldn't go to gyms and work out, right? Like it was this was a full shutdown across the country, which prevented guys from from having their normal routine. And then training camp being just 14 practices, um, teams wanting to to have intense practices to get ready for the season while also trying to balance out um, get getting guys healthy and in shape. It, it was just a really difficult uh, needle to thread. And, and I think we're seeing that particularly with the 49ers, but they're not alone. Um, you know, the Giants lost Saquon Barkley. Um, the Broncos lost Von Miller. You know, the, the Niners are not the only team dealing with with injuries to their stars, but just given how high profile a team the 49ers are coming off the Super Bowl and and how loaded their roster is, it's it's wild to look at games like Sunday night against the Eagles where, you know, Richard Sherman, Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Bosa, D. Ford, everybody's on the sideline. Um, and now you're trying to figure out exactly where the 49ers are at. And it's hard to know because you don't know um, how these guys are going to look when they're all healthy and if the 49ers are going to be able to regain their form or not. But we do know that it's going to be interesting no matter what. So we'll be you and I will be here to, to document it and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, you brought up some names, and I do want to get into them in just a, a minute, give a little bit of an injury update from what we've heard from Kyle Shanahan so far this week. But uh, taking a step back, we, we're talking about the 49ers and, of course, dealing with a number of injuries, a couple of guys being placed on injured reserve, a couple of guys season-ending injured reserve. But now when you step back – and you look at this NFC West, did you have any idea that this division would be as tough as it is? Yeah, you know, the Seahawks always stick around. Um, they're they're just, as long as Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are there, they're always going to be a tough team to beat. And it seems like every single game they play is absolutely insane. And that's sort of 
um, that theme is, has stuck through this season too. And, and they happen to be four and oh, and then, you know, we, I, I think everybody thought the Cardinals would be better and, and we've certainly seen signs of it, but they're also still a young team and sort of going through the inconsistencies that young teams go through at, at two and two after beating the 49ers in week one. Um, I, I think the most surprising thing for me has been the Rams because you look at what the Rams did last year, it seemed like they were moving in the wrong direction, whether it was um, the play of their offensive line, um, you know, losing Wade Phillips in the offseason, you just expect that to, to be a, a huge blow for them. And it looks like um, the, they're bouncing back pretty well with their with their young guy, Brandon Staley, um, as defensive coordinator. So, yeah, I mean, it coming into the year, I did think it was probably going to be one of the most competitive divisions in football. But after the first quarter of the season, I think it's pretty clear that it's far and away the best division in football. And, and that's even without the 49ers being anywhere near full strength. So if the 49ers do get some guys back and start playing better like they typically do as as seasons go on under Kyle Shanahan, um, you're going to look at a, a real dogfight in this division. And um, they're, the gauntlet's coming for the 49ers in a couple weeks. I don't they're, they're not going to look past the Dolphins game, but you have games against the Rams. Uh, you have the Seahawks games coming up. You got one against the Packers. I know that's not a divisional game, but they're undefeated and a team that is going to be a factor in the playoff race for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, I, the, the division's loaded and, uh, and to me it's, it's not all that surprising just given the talent and, and the pedigree that we've seen now from, from some of these teams in recent seasons. You talk about the gauntlet that the 49ers will have to face in the next couple of weeks. Of course, they're taking it one week at a time with their focus right now being on the Miami Dolphins. But when I think about this Dolphins team, I also think to the Philadelphia Eagles that the 49ers just played in week four, a team that came... I don't want to discount this team uh, coming in 0-2-1. Uh, I feel like 49ers were the a heavy favorite going into that game. And I think to many surprise did not perform the way a lot of people believe this team could. Uh, as you step back and you look at this game, what do you feel happened? Why Why do you think this team kind of came out flat against a team that when you look on paper – the 49ers should have won that game. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and um, you know, coming into that game, I was expecting the 49ers to, to play pretty well because of how well they played in, in New York, both those games, or I guess New Jersey, I should say, against the uh, against the Jets and Giants. And what we saw was basically a complete reversal from, from how well the team played in those games to Sunday night because the offensive line was, was disjointed. You know, Nick Mullins took five sacks and was hit 15 times. I think the 49ers have allowed 49. Somebody tweeted this out, and I, I should look it up and credit them, but um, they, I, I saw the 49ers have allowed 49 quarterback hits this year, which is by far the most in the league. And that's particularly problematic because of how good the offensive line played last year. And in the running game, too, the last two weeks, the 49ers running backs um, have averaged just 2.7 yards per carry. And, and some of that has to do with Raheem Mostert, but I you know, him being out and Tevin Coleman out being out, obviously, but also, you know, the the offensive line just needs to block better. And, and Kyle Shanahan said it this week that really everything starts with the running game. And, and he thinks the offense will get better at just about everything once they start running the ball uh, better with their running backs. You know, the 49ers last year, Jimmy Garoppolo was uh, using play action at the third highest rate in the league. So clearly the, the running game matters to to the passing game as well. So um, with the offensive line not playing like it's capable of, and I know the defense, the defensive line for Philadelphia is really good and talented, but that's a team that the 49ers should match up with. They have 
you know, they've had three first for, former first round picks along that offensive line playing against, you know, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham and uh, Malik Jackson and all those guys. So, you know, the 49ers should not get handled up front uh, like they did. And then you have, you know, Nick Mullins never really found a rhythm. It was evident in the beginning of the game when he missed Kyle Juszczyk on that long um, what could have been a, a long touchdown or at least a 40, 50 yard gainer on the second play of the game. And, um, you know, when you turn the ball over three times uh, and you only get one and, and you know, those turnovers lead to 14 points and you lose a five point game, like I, I think you, you can point to the turnovers, too. And and that's it's not great analysis on my part. It's, it's pretty obvious. But if you know, if you don't throw a fourth quarter pick six. Um, if you don't uh, take a strip sack in your own territory that leads to a touchdown, um, you're probably going to run away with that game, just given the state of the Eagles, like you like you mentioned. So um, I think it was it was just really a 49ers mistakes. And um, I, I do think and I can I mentioned this earlier. This is a team that traditionally under Kyle Shanahan plays a lot more mistake free as the season goes on, whether it was 2017 uh, when Jimmy Garoppolo came on, they won five games straight to to end the season, obviously, in 2018 with Nick Mullins at the helm in the second half of the year. Um, they beat the Seahawks at home for the first time in, in a really long time and and uh, finished on a relative high note to that season. And then obviously last year down the stretch run, doing everything they needed to do to to secure the number one seed and, and make that run to the Super Bowl. So, you know, if the 49ers do get their guys back and and whenever that happens, um, I do expect them to play better and play more mistake-free football. And this is also, you know, this is a weird season. And I think some teams might be looking at September in a way that they haven't looked at September's in years past because there was no preseason. Training camp was shorter. Um, so they might be more inclined to, um, you know, treat September like more like the preseason than, than they would in years past in terms of getting guys healthy, getting everybody on the same page and in rhythm. Um, but yeah, when it comes to Sunday, I just think it was mistakes and, and the offensive line needs to play better. Um, and I would expect them to do that co- going forward. I think this is this is a pretty angry and frustrated team right now. And uh, I, I would imagine they'd love to to take out their frustrations on, on the Dolphins on Sunday. Manscaped is the official below the waist grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get 20% off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for 20% off at manscaped.com. You brought up uh, 49ers potentially getting some guys back in the near future. I just want to give a couple of updates. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, Raheem Mostert, and Dre Greenlaw and also Akella Witherspoon were limited participants uh, during Wednesday's practice. Uh, so not guaranteed that these guys will all appear uh, Sunday in week five against the Dolphins. But uh, it's at least a good sign that these guys are back at practice in some capacity. But uh, Chris, I just want to ask you, what's been your impression of this 49ers depth? Yeah, we know some of these backups, uh, as we just alluded to last week, you know, needed to play better. But What's what what's been your thoughts uh, getting some of these guys stepping up and namely I'll say a Kerry Hyder, a Kevin Givens, uh, a Dion Jordan, guys like this being able to step up with the absence of other guys? Well, you would think that losing Nick Bosa and D Ford and Richard Sherman would cause the 49ers defense to fall off a cliff. But looking at the numbers right now, defensively, they're third in points allowed and third in overall yardage. And in the last three weeks, they've allowed 277 yards, 231 and 267 um, in three straight games, albeit against teams that are not exactly clicking offensively. Right. Like 
Daniel Jones, um, Sam Darnold, and and Carson Wentz haven't really been lighting it up. But if you're a good defense, uh, it's a good sign that you're limiting those guys and and not allowing big numbers to them. So they're they're doing what they're supposed to do, I think, defensively. Um, and Kerry Hyder is somebody you know everybody loves him. Everybody talks about Kerry Hyder in a very similar way to how the team talks about Ronnie Blair last year. And I know, you know, one of Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator, his, his favorite sayings, if you want to win, you put Ronnie in and, and he can, he can kind of do a little bit of everything they need to do. He might not be a huge, um, you know, a, a huge sack total guy, but just somebody who you feel confident uh, that he can get the job done at a, at a reasonable rate when, when you put him out there. And I think this is, that's the same with Kerry Hyder um, losing Ezekiel Ansa for the season. You know, he wasn't, ultra productive in his in his limited snaps the last two weeks but he was somebody I think the 49ers were counting on pretty heavily given that they don't have uh Nick Bosa or D Ford for the foreseeable future so that's that's a significant loss and it'll be up to Deion Jordan to to play more of a role I think Eric Armstead is is going to have a ton of weight on his shoulders given that you know he plays defensive end sometimes he, he plays on the inside a lot and now he's sort of the de facto leader in in that defensive line room um, yeah. And you're going to need Javon Kinlaw to, to step up too. And, and he's shown some really good signs as a rookie, but he still is a rookie just sort of wading through things and um, <clears throat> in, in the first quarter of his first NFL season. So um, the depth, you know, Dante Johnson played probably better than, than I expected, albeit against a pretty banged up receiving core with, with the Eagles. Jason Verrett has been a really good story so far and played at a, at a pretty high level these last two weeks. After, you know, I, I mean, it's well documented how how many injuries Jason Verrett has dealt with throughout his career and the fact that he hadn't started back to back games um, until these last two games. Like the last time he did that was 2016, I believe. So it's it's been a really long road back for him. And I couldn't even imagine what that would be like to, to be a pro athlete who put up all the insane combine testing numbers that he did to, to become a first round pick and play at a high level only to have your body fail you at that point later on. So, um, yeah, the, the depth is, is uh, the, the signs are good for the 49ers, I, at least defensively. They're able to tread water right now. Um, they're getting healthier on offense. They're probably, you know, whenever Raheem Mostert and Jimmy Garoppolo come back, whether that's this week or next week, the 49ers are going to have their, you know, their top running back, their quarterback, their tight end, and, and both Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel for the first time all season. Um, so I think the offense would, will finally start to get clicking a little bit if they can start stringing together healthy weeks from all those guys and the offensive line play picks up. So, um, it's not, you know, losing a game like the 49ers did last week is, is not great, but I think, you know, the, the fact that the team has had to rely on guys down the depth chart, like they have, I think could bode well for the future because you're giving these guys valuable game reps that they otherwise wouldn't be getting. Um, and to be two and two obviously is not ideal, but if you look at the injury situation, uh, I think the 49ers would take it. And given that there's an expanded playoff field this year with seven teams in the NFC instead of just six, um, you know, the Rams would have made it under that format last year and they went nine and seven. So I think that should give 49ers fans optimism that there's a long road ahead still losing to the Eagles. Um, and even the Cardinals in week one isn't a death knell for the season totally. And, uh, and I think, as long as they get their guys back healthy, they're going to be in the mix and they're going to be a really tough out if they do make the playoffs come January. Yeah, you brought up uh, the cornerback position, and I do want to talk a little bit more about that and give some updates also on Richard Sherman. Uh, 
He's now eligible to be uh, active for, activated from short-term IR onto the active roster, but we haven't got any notification about that. And by the looks of it, it looks like he will stay on IR at least until week six when the 49ers face the Rams. Uh, what's been your take on Sherm's situation? And and you talked a little bit about the backups being able to step in. And how do you see this playing out in the next week or two? Yeah, so it sounds like Sherman on his new podcast with, with Chris Collinsworth indicated that um, he, if if this were a do or die or playoff scenario, he he might be out there. And it sounds like the 49ers are being really cautious with him. And just, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like given that Richard Sherman tore his Achilles and then obviously had surgery to repair that, then he had surgery on the opposite Achilles because there was some sort of issue that might have had to do with overcompensating during his rehab or whatever. And then another surgery um, to remove sutures after his first season with the 49ers um, from his Achilles. Um, you know, I know Sherman doesn't love when, when people talk about how the calf and the Achilles are, are related, but they definitely are. There's no denying that because they're actually connected. So the fact that he has calf issues is somewhat um, somewhat concerning given um, given all of his history with with those types of injuries. But. On the plus side, it sounds like the 49ers are doing everything they can to make sure he's 100% healthy before he comes back. So um, the, it sounds like Sherman, you know, says he could have been could have been back playing by now. But um, given more time off, I think that that does some to ensure that, um, you know, Sherman can be healthy for the stretch run, run when the team really needs him. And let's face it, like if you look at the last few weeks after after week one, there hasn't exactly been a gauntlet of receivers the 49ers have gone against to, you know, for when they've really needed Sherman. So, um, you know, maybe that changes uh, next week with the Rams. The week after that, the, you got the Patriots and then the Seahawks, two road games back to back. And then Thursday night against the Packers. Uh, just It's just going to be an incredible five game stint with with the Saints in New Orleans a week after that before the bye. Um, so you just look at that gauntlet and the 49ers are going to need everybody they can to, to be healthy. So it's understandable why the team would, would be cautious with Sherman want to make sure that this isn't an injury that lingers, but, um, you know, I, we haven't heard from Sherman in a while and he's, he's usually pretty, pretty honest and upfront with where things stand with all this stuff. So I'm looking forward to, to hear his thoughts about it whenever he does come back. But, um, yeah, I, I think just given the way Jason Verrett's played and, um, you know, you'd hope Emmanuel Mosley can come back off off concussion protocol this week. Mikella um, Witherspoon's back at practice. So those are two guys who obviously have missed time recently. Getting those guys back will certainly help. And then if Jason Verrett continues to play at the high level he is, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he ends up starting opposite Sherman when Sherman does come back. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I wish I could tell you exactly where Sherman was at, but I'm definitely not a doctor. And uh, and we haven't we haven't heard from him directly in a little bit. Not a doctor. I could have sworn you were. So my apologies. <laughs> given how much, given how much we've had to write about injuries, I feel like we all we all feel like some sort of honorary doctors at this point. Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, no, but you actually answered the next question I wanted to ask you, and that was about Jason Verrett's status with how he's been playing. Would he have the potential to maybe have a starting spot for himself once Emmanuel Mosley? Akello Witherspoon makes his way back, maybe opposite Richard Sherman, but that's something that we might be able to discuss maybe heading into week six. But I do have a question from John Braschetto 
She says, with all the injuries at the cornerback position, which we just talked about, Emmanuel Mosley, Kella Witherspoon, Richard Sherman, is there any plan to move Tarvarius Moore over there to give room to veteran safety Jonathan Cyprian? We haven't talked about him much at all. He's on the practice squad. Um, I feel like had a pretty decent camp with the 49ers. Uh, didn't make the 53-man roster, but uh, came back on practice squad. But do you see any movement going on in the secondary uh, amidst all of these injuries that the team's dealing with? I, I think what's probably more likely to happen than more playing corner again is um, maybe Emmanuel Mosley switches to the slot um, because Kwan Williams now is on injured reserve with, with his knee injury and, and going to miss at least the next three weeks. I think if Mosley comes back healthy with Kwan out um, and Jason Verrett playing well, whenever Richard Sherman comes back, I think it would make sense to to have – your, your top three corners be Sherman, um, Sherman, Verrett, and then Mosley in the slot. Because when Mosley came in, initially came into the league a couple of years ago, that's where he got the most playing time um, and then wound up moving outside because of, um, you know, the, the issues the 49ers were having with Akella Witherspoon. So um, I think Mosley playing the slot is probably the, the big change that's most likely. I don't know that Jonathan Cyprian is a real good fit for what the 49ers want at free safety. Jimmy Ward, of course, as, as some of the best range on the team. And, and Tarverius Moore might be the fastest defensive player the 49ers have. Um, and so they like him in, in that free safety role. I think Jonathan Cyprian is somewhat closer to Jaquaski Tart, who also has good range, um, particularly for a strong safety. But I think Cyprian might be a guy who's who's better off closer to the line of scrimmage. I know the 49ers like to play a lot of, of uh, you know, eight, eight guys in the box, including the strong safety. And I think that's probably Cyprian's best role. And I think in training camp, that's sort of where he was used the most. So he was he was competing with Marcel Harris, I think, for for the backup strong safety spot. Um, and I wouldn't imagine that that they would try him at free safety unless it was an absolute emergency. But um, yeah, I think you know, given the injury issues, Emmanuel Mosley moving inside maybe uh, to to play the slot um, where Jamar Taylor is right now. And, and Taylor had a sack on Sunday night in his first snap, replacing Mosley, mm-hmm. which was or replacing Williams, which was notable for sure. Um, but yeah, that's that's the big move or the big change I would see happening in the secondary. I don't know that the 49ers are dying to uh are dying to to move more back to cornerback after that's where he started, then move him to safety. I think right. that's putting a lot on his plate and and they would probably be better off maximizing him in, in one role at safety. Last week, we got a ton of questions, and and obviously this was prior to Debo making his return, but the question was, do you see the 49ers going out and doing what they did last year, grabbing Emmanuel Sanders before the trade deadline, now with the injuries on defense? That's the question this week. Uh, Do you see, well, Tiny Martinez from Sarasota, Florida wants to know, do you see us trading for any cornerbacks or defensive linemen by the trade deadline, which is later this month? Oh, potentially. I'll be be honest with you. Like I have not scoured, uh, scoured the uh, like scouted other teams and looked at at who might be on the trade block. I know Ryan Kerrigan's name has come up a defensive end with Washington, who's been pretty productive and and might be on the trade block, given the way their season's going right now. Um, I think defensive line help would be the area where I would look for to make an addition. I, I I think the 49ers right now with Witherspoon eventually coming back with Mosley potentially coming back. Um, and now you have Verrett help healthy knock on wood, um, you know, and Sherman potentially coming back. I think you have the bodies you need at corner, at least for the time being barring any more, you know, really significant 
<clears throat> injuries, excuse me. So I think uh, what what you want if you're the 49ers is probably defensive line help because, um, you know, you brought in Kerry Hyder to be sort of uh, in a similar role with as a rotational pass rusher as, as Ronald Blair has been in the last couple of years. And you're going to get Ronald Blair back. So maybe that's that's the big addition the 49ers are able to make. Um, I know they've talked about, you know, trying to ba- find the the balance of um, com- contending for world uh, for Super Bowls year in and year out, while also sort of um, you know maintaining for the future. And and so it's going to be a tough it's going to be a tough balancing act because they have a bunch of free agents coming up and they're going to need all of their draft picks. But at the same time, if they do think they can win the Super Bowl and they're a move away during the season, then they might be able to part with those draft picks in a similar way to, to what they did last year for Emmanuel Sanders. So the only name I, I feel comfortable saying that would make sense right now is maybe Ryan Kerrigan. Um, but I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't scoured the league to, to find out who's, who's going to be on the block just yet. Um, but I, I would say pass rusher is probably the number one area. If I were, uh, if I were John Lynch, which I'm not, um, that's, that's <laughs> the spot. That's the spot I would be looking at. <laughs> I just want to clarify NFL trade deadline is November 3rd. So that's right after the 49ers week eight matchup. Is anything uh, else it, happening that day? Uh, you know, I think it's a pretty big day in, in the States. Uh, don't forget to make sure you register to vote. <laughs> so a pretty busy day uh, in the NFL world and legitimate in the United States. So great reminder. Thank you for that, Chris. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just got my ballot. I'm excited to fill it out and, and send it in. <laughs> so that's nice, what was perfect. on my mind. There you go. Um, well, I feel like we got to talk about the elephant in the room and that is the 49ers quarterback conundrum. I feel like if this was a week ago from now, this conversation would be a lot different than what we're about to have. Um, we had a lot of people that were standing on the, the Nick Mullins for president campaign. Um, and that might've changed over the last week, but heading into Sunday, Kyle Shanahan's keeping his cards close to his chest. Um, He's not, he, we're not sure yet if Jimmy Garoppolo will be active against the Dolphins. Um, also, he's not necessarily releasing who would get the start b- between Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard just yet. He said uh, he'll let everybody know when, or the the Dolphins will find out uh, on Sunday uh, when that inactives list is released or when uh, the starters are released. But um want to know your take. What's your impressions on, on Jimmy and uh, what the 49ers are potentially doing uh, by not revealing who might be at quarterback on Sunday. Yeah, I I think it's a good sign for, for Jimmy Garoppolo that he is practicing this week. And um, in, in the limited footage I was able to watch from practice today, given out by, by the team because I I didn't go to practice today was, um, you know, Garoppolo's ankles, both of them are, are really heavily taped. Um, a high ankle sprain can be really problematic. I, I don't know if 49ers fans remember the the 2011 game that they had against the Steelers, but um, Ben Roethlisberger was sacked five or six times in that game in large part because he just couldn't move because he was playing on a high ankle sprain. So um, that's sort of the context that that I think you people need to think about when when trying to talk about quarterbacks dealing with high ankle sprains. But if Garoppolo um, is, is good enough to play, then I think he absolutely should play. And, you know, whether or not uh, we had this conversation that I host a podcast with with Kyle Madsen called Candlestick Chronicles, and we had this exact um, conversation last night. And and my point was that I I think if you're Kyle Shanahan, given that you were so um, 
you were so staunch in your support of Nick Mullins and and the fact that he he earned the number two job. Um, you know, I, I feel like it would be pretty harsh to take that away from him after one start. Um, because, you know, if Jimmy Garoppolo were to go down again, you would want to infuse as much confidence as you could in whoever his backup is. And I don't know if what it would do to Nick Mullen's career, his his mindset, his psyche, if if he were just to have one bad game and then get relegated to number three duties and, and never be the backup again. I think that would be um, a little bit reactionary, just given that the circumstances weren't great. Like he didn't um, he didn't have a ton of help from the offensive line or the running game, really. Um, so I, I think I would give Nick Mullins one more shot if Garoppolo can't play. Um, but on the other hand, I, I think C.J. Beathard is is probably better a better quarterback than people give him credit for. And I think, you know, it, it might be unfair to judge him based on how he played in 2017 and 2018, because quite frankly, those weren't very good 49ers teams and he was just a rookie. So I think, you know, to me, um, I see C.J. Beathard as somebody and and I think Kyle Shanahan feels a similar way and, and he's indicated as much that, you know, I think if if regardless of the 49ers current quarterback situation, if C.J. Beathard were to start for for two years on a team, I think he could develop into a player similar to Kirk Cousins, um, which which is another way of saying a very capable starting NFL quarterback. The problem is, of course, the 49ers are not in position to give. Um, to give C.J. Beathard that much playing time because they have a franchise quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo and they're um, and they're, you know, competing for a Super Bowl right now. So um, I, I think, you know, if, if it were me making the decision and I'm not watching practice, obviously what you see on the practice field is is going to be a huge determining factor. Um, so, you know, I, I would still stick with Nick Mullins just because you were willing to go out on a limb and and. Um, or not necessarily go out on a limb, but you were willing to make him uh, the number two quarterback based on his entire body of work. And I don't know that one game necessarily changes that, but maybe Mullins is is not playing well on the practice field this week. And maybe Shanahan decides, hey, I'm going to I'm going to give C.J. Beathard a shot, because like I said, Shanahan is somebody who has a lot of faith in Beathard and, and believes in him. And obviously there were some good quarterbacks in that 2017 draft, Keanu, that, that the 49ers passed on um, before landing on C.J. Beathard. So um, I could see I could see the reasoning for going with C.J. Beathard just to switch things up because I think he probably is a more talented option than Nick Mullins. But I would go with Mullins just because of the track record. Like he played well uh, in both the New York games. He played really well in 2018. And um, and you would hope that Sunday night's game was a blip on the radar. But um, if it's not and Mullins clearly hasn't recovered and, and is not playing well, um, Sunday against the Dolphins, then then you could always go to Beathard uh, quickly if if um, if Jimmy Garoppolo isn't healthy enough to play. This podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the official below the waist grooming partner of the 49ers. Try Manscaped and get twenty percent off and free shipping with code 49ers at manscaped.com. That's code 49ers for twenty percent off at manscaped.com. Yeah, this is this is nothing but a conversation of hypotheticals because actually at this exact moment we don't know what direction that that the 49ers are going to go. We don't know the status of Jimmy Garoppolo's injury. We talked to Kyle Shanahan prior to practice, so after that was his first time actually seeing Jimmy in a full, well, in a limited capacity, but at practice, um he said he looked good at walkthroughs. But again, it can go any direction. Uh so we will be waiting to see the result of that on Sunday. Do you think Kyle will give us any type of inkling of what direction he's going maybe on Friday? 
I think if Garoppolo's going to play, he'll tell us Garoppolo's going to play on Friday. If Garoppolo's not going to play, I think um, maybe Garoppolo gets ruled out and then he won't tell us who, whether or not, uh, or he won't tell us who it's going to be. Um, and then he also mentioned today, too, that we'll find out who the number, if Garoppolo does play, we'll find out who the number two quarterback is based on, obviously, who's who's active because the number three quarterback is typically not dressed uh, for the 49ers on game days. So, yeah, it's all up in the air right now. We we really have no idea. But, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan likes to keep us guessing sometimes. So that's what he's doing this week. Keep him guessing. But it's fun to have these conversations anyways. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what else are we going to do? Exactly. Um, but uh, more 49ers news. Uh, this week, the 49ers released wide receiver Mohamed Sanu. Um, a lot of questions. Why? Why did the 49ers get rid of a veteran receiver like that? Well, you think about getting Debo Samuel back in the fold. Uh, the practice window is open for Richie James as well. Uh, Brian Jimenez asked, uh, after releasing Mohamed Sanu, are the 49ers going to move up a practice squad player? What's going to happen? Um, and you can tell me your opinion, Chris, but I feel like now with guys getting back healthy, this group is getting a little crowded. And yeah, it, I, th- it, I don't think it was able, the team was able to retain all of these receivers. Yeah, I, I think it's a function of Richie James coming back and the fact that Richie James might have more value to you on game day, particularly because he returns punts and kicks, right? Like he's he's done that the last couple of years. I think he's the guy the 49ers feel most comfortable doing that. Um, until this year, James has been pretty durable. Um, so I, I think the 49ers like him in that role because they, you know, Trent Taylor coming off injuries. I'm not sure they're thrilled with the idea of having him return um return punts. I know, you know, Jarek McKinnon obviously coming off his knee issues over the last couple of years, they'd rather not have him uh, returning kickoffs. And and Dante Pettis is somebody who was really good at returning punts in college, but hasn't really shown that so far in the league. So for Sanu, who didn't really have special teams value, if you're going to activate um, Richie James, then I, then I think he was probably the odd man out. And, and look, like, you know, Mohamed Sanu has had a really nice career and he's had some productive seasons, but He's somebody the Patriots gave a sec gave up a second round pick for, and they needed to receive really badly, and he didn't he didn't really help them a whole lot. Um, and this year in training camp, I had talked to some people who said he was pretty slow at training camp, and um, and this is coming off off season ankle surgery, so it, it just might be that Sanu is at a point in his career, given his health status, where he's not the same player that he was, and the 49ers would probably rather be younger and maybe more versatile at the at the position. So, um, you know, I. Sanu played only a handful of snaps. Uh, I think he played seven snaps on Sunday. Um, he hasn't had the most robust role in his three games since coming over. So I, I don't I don't see it as a as a huge loss. And I think eventually with you know with Debo Samuel's role expanding, um, Brandon Ayuk's role, you know, expanding and Kendrick Bourne being sort of the the, the elder statesman in the uh, in the receiving room, which is a which is just a really funny thought if you know anything about Kendrick Bourne. Um you know, I, I, to your point, I, I think I think the receiving room, or, or at least on the active roster, is full right now. And um, and if the 49ers do value Richie James enough to to have him be the guy who's your number one return man, then then moving on from somebody like Sanu makes sense. Chris, what do you think is the biggest storyline for this 49ers team heading into week five? You're going in at two and two, and we talked about this gauntlet of teams that we have that are awaiting the 49ers, but heading into Sunday, what's the storyline? Um, 
That's a good question. Uh, I, it's got to be the health of, of Garoppolo and and just sort of the overall health of the team. Um, I think if you get Garoppolo back um, and have a convincing win on your home field, like it's it's got to be weird to be the defending NFC champions and then be start the season zero and two at home, um, losing to teams that you were considerable favorites over, right? And I think some of that has to do with the fact that you know there's no fans in the state in in the seats. Um, the pandemic is obviously a huge story throughout the league and, and, but when it comes to home field advantage, you know, un- under normal circumstances that that Arizona game week one would have been rocking because fans, it would have been fans oppor- first opportunity to see the team since the Super Bowl um, Sunday night under the lights against the Eagles another high profile team, whether they're struggling or not. I think fans would have been raucous in that one. And, and maybe the defense would have gotten an extra boost in, you know, in the second half of both those games. And so, um, you know, I, I think now that, you know, you potentially have Jimmy Garoppolo coming back, you have your offensive guys coming back and, and getting healthy and, and start to find a rhythm. I think that's really where it has to start, because if the 49ers are going to be a playoff team, then, you know, Sunday's game is a game that they really have to win. And it's going to be hard to be optimistic about the 49ers if they open the season with home losses to the Cardinals, Eagles and now the Dolphins. Um, who, you know, people don't really have high expectations for going into the year. So I would expect the, the 49ers to, to come out angry, um, to, uh, particularly if Jimmy Garoppolo plays. I would imagine the offense is going to look a whole lot better um, against a team that they should beat. But, you know, Brian Flores is a good coach, and, um, and he's a really good defensive coach. And so I, I think the 49ers understand that it's the Dolphins are not going to be a pushover team. And so they they're going to have to be focused and and the 49ers have been humbled at, at home in their two games this season. So they're going to want to get off to um, they're going to want to get in the win column at home. I know it's an obvious thing to say, but um, I think it comes down to just the, the biggest story of the week is Garoppolo's health and how the offense looks on Sunday. And I would imagine, given all we've seen from the 49ers in the last couple of years, that they're they're going to put together a complete offensive performance and uh and probably take care of business against the team they they should they should handle because they haven't done that against previous teams that they should beat pretty handily with um you know in Arizona and uh and Philadelphia. Yeah, I like that you said that Miami's no pushover team. Uh we saw what they did to the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, Seattle ended up winning that game, but Miami was was slowing them down. And and you don't see many teams being able to slow down a guy like Russell Wilson and contain him and keep him in the pocket. I think they registered uh, two sacks in that game. But uh, so Miami's no slouch. And that's another team I feel like the 49ers cannot afford to overlook. And I know it's some magic. people were it's saying real. <laughs> Fitz magic is a real thing. Um, and, and Fitz magic is also another one who can use his legs if he needs to to get extra yardage, which has been something that's been, I say the 49ers kryptonite, the D-line's kryptonite, being able to slow down guys that can use their legs uh, and letting them get out of the pocket. Yeah, totally agree. Um, there's been there's been a lot of discussion about the 49ers and, and sort of how they handle mobile quarterbacks. I think um, one of the reasons why I think is just sort of the, the scheme. I think, you know, when you have, when you want to have big, powerful defensive ends, um, you know, guys who are 270, 280, those guys are going to be, they're going to have a harder time tracking down quarterbacks in space than um, guys who, you know, when the 49ers ran a 3-4 with Ahmad Brooks and, and Alden Smith, those were like 250, 260 pound guys who were really athletic. 
And I, and it's just a little bit different now when you have Kerry Hyder and, and, you know, Eric Armstead's a really good athlete, but um, he's meant to win in the trenches, not necessarily chase down quarterbacks who are 40, 50, 60 pounds lighter than him. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a schematic thing. I, I think it's a personnel thing. And um, I think teams realize that uh, just given how good the 49ers have t- typically been against the pass and even the traditional running game, um, I know not so much last year, the numbers weren't great, but um, it, it's, you know, the, the 49ers do have issues with running quarterbacks. Um, I can't put my finger on exactly why, uh, because I th- you would think that given how athletic their linebackers are with Fred Warner and Quan Alexander, they would be better at it. But um, I think it just takes discipline. And I think part of it, too, like I mentioned, is the fact is, is it, the fact that their defensive ends are bigger guys and not, you know, the smaller, more athletic edge rushers you see elsewhere in the league in, in three, four schemes specifically, um, that it is going to be a little bit different. And they have to be a more more disciplined team, too, when it comes to that. They need to. They need to not crash on on the ball fake on zone reads like you know like they did when Carson Wentz scored his touchdown in the first half of, of Sunday night's game. So um, that's certainly going to be an area of concern and and that they harp on because it's it's really sort of a glaring Achilles heel for the defense right now. Yeah, and you still have another matchup with a Kyler Murray. You have two more against a Russell Wilson. So hopefully something the 49ers can get together in the coming weeks. And that begins this Sunday, 49ers hosting the Miami Dolphins. And we're back at normal time, one in the afternoon. No more morning games. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I don't think I was the biggest fan of waking up early for those games. I didn't mind it so much. I mean, the thing the, the thing that really stinks about this season is the fact that we're not traveling for games. Um, yeah. So like staying home and then having a Sunday, Sunday 10 a.m. game actually isn't terrible because we're done writing by like dinner time. Whereas like if we we're out there, we would be writing till like eight, nine o'clock at night. Um, that is true. And so if there's a if there's a plus side to that, that's what it is. But yes, Sunday afternoon is. It's always the best time for football. I mean, un- unless you're watching on TV, Sunday afternoon's the best. Totally agree. Again, 49ers hosting the Miami Dolphins. 105 kick. Uh, you can catch that on Fox this Sunday. Chris Biederman from the Sacramento Bee. It is always an, a, a pleasure to have you. Uh, we have to get you on the pod again and uh, check in with you maybe later on the season. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thanks for joining. We'll chat soon. Bye.